we are here with uh, Dr. Emily Cross, who is a cognitive neuroscientist and a professor of social robotics at the University of Glasgow. So thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. So obviously, you teach social robotics. So what does that mean? My background is in cognitive neuroscience and social neuroscience. So that's really understanding the what's going on in the human brain when we have well, when we think about various things, when we perform various tasks, and most interestingly and importantly, when we engage in social interactions. I've been interested in the past five to eight years in not just how we interact with other humans, but also what happens when we interact with and try to engage socially with artificial agents, uh, not just avatars and agents that we might encounter on the screen two-dimensionally, but also robots, things that are embodied in front of us. And when you say robots, um, we're not talking Siri, we're talking something else. Yeah, so we, we try to make a distinction between, and of course, Siri, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll refer to Siri or Google Voice Assistants as disembodied agents. So these are artificial agents as well. They kind of uh, belong in that umbrella term, but they're not embodied. So we can't see them, we can't touch them, we can't physically interact with them like we can with perhaps a robot that might help us to um, lift something up or to carry something somewhere or to you know, have a chat that's uh, physically there in front of us. Does the human brain react similarly to a, a, an embodied robot as it would another human? We have done quite a few experiments that have been looking at that. Of course, we find that the, what the robot looks like really shapes how people perceive and interact with it, whether that looks more like a human or more like an object or a machine, but um, not just kind of the physical cues that the robot has, but also what people believe about the robot and what their prior kind of experience has been, those, those sorts of things can be almost even more important. So if we tell people that this robot has been endowed with the most sophisticated human-like artificial intelligence, that everything about its movements, everything about the way it operates have been modeled, has been modeled after how humans work, not only do people behaviorally perceive it to be more human-like, but we can see from their brain activity that it looks far more like they're interacting with a human, which just to me is bonkers that these sorts of belief cues can really be shaping our perception so much. Yeah, that's wild. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty crazy idea. If you kind of show somebody a very simplistic robot and you tell them that it's much more complicated than it is, that still has the same effect, even if it's kind of a not that complicated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So th this is almost precisely what we did in one of our studies. This was this was with um, avatars, so virtual agents, but we told people some of them were based off of, um, well, we made these video clips with really sophisticated human motion capture like they used in the movie Avatar, and we had all these sorts of, you know, video clips explaining how that sort of technology works. And then we showed other, we showed people other clips um, that were actually exactly the same and said, oh, these ones were just all a computer algorithm. There was no human involvement. And people not only report seeing them really differently, and they, they say that one looks far more believable and human-like and one looks far more like jerky and rigid, even though it's the same, but also their brains are really responding uh, in a more human-like way to the ones they believe have human origins, which is crazy. So it's basically just a placebo effect. Yeah, it's something like that. It's something like the beliefs um, that, that we bring are hugely important. So I think that's a particularly relevant point for especially robotic startups and people working in the tech industry when they're spending all of this R&D and making robots look ever more lifelike, ever more human-like. I think we need to spend a lot more time on the human users and, and, and how we're gonna you know, introduce a robot and kind of broach uh, what the relationship's going to be between the human and the robot rather than just what's coming out of the box because that's one thing, but 
we, the human side of it, is far more malleable, far more plastic, and far more difficult to understand and predict. When you say that the human brain reacts similarly, if they believe that the robot is sophisticated and more human-like as they would another human, what is happening in their brain exactly? As a human neuroscientist, I should be at pains to say that we in this field are only scratching the surface of understanding you know, the incredibly complex social algorithms that happen in the human brain. But what um, my research team is really interested in is in a few different brain networks that are involved in, in social cognition. So one of those that we talk about is the social brain network, and that includes parts of the cortex, such as the uh, uh, superior temporal sulcus and the temporal parietal junctions. We know that these parts of the brain are really engaged when we're thinking about other people's minds. When you think about what other people might be thinking and, and trying to take other people's perspective. We know that these sorts of tasks really strongly engage these parts of the brain, um, known as the social brain network. So we also know that when people are classically interacting with machines or things that are not human or you don't believe to have minds, you don't get engagement of these brain regions. So what we can see is that when certain artificial agents, when certain robots are introduced, um, with more human-like backgrounds, you do engage these parts of the brain. And have you studied people's levels of loneliness when they engage with robots versus when they engage with people? This is a really great question. So we have work that's just kicking off right now about that, and that was independent from the COVID-19 pandemic, but of course it's wow. very timely right now as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah, this is, we, we do look at people's propensity to anthropomorphize and that's to see, you know, human-like qualities and non-human things. Um, and we know from other research that people who are lonely are more likely to anthropomorphize. So we do have hypotheses that um, potentially people who are lonely um, might be kind of imbuing um, artificial agents, whether these are robots or voice assistants with more um, kind of sentience than they actually have. Uh, we don't know for sure that this is obviously a really wide open area. And of course, as you might also imagine, it's an area that is met with a lot of resistance from a lot of people too, because people think we should not be using machines to, to fill these gaps for human connection. And, and I think there's really some deep and important ethical questions to be considering here. But if we always think about robots and this technology as tools, I still think they can be really quite useful tools for, for helping people um, you know, establish social connection. Do you think that robots could facilitate other humans getting together? And I don't really know what I mean by that, but I'm just... <laughs> yes, yes, I, I think they can. There's been one randomized control trial. They use these um, seal robots, perhaps you've seen them, they're called Paro. So there's these cuddly little robots that look like baby seals. They introduced these to um, a care home environment. Residents of the care home had dementia, but they were looking at loneliness and they found that indeed um, what this robot did was not just change the people's feelings of loneliness, but it brought them together with other care home residents to, to kind of talk about the robot and to learn, learn about the robot. And when you say it was like a baby seal, was the texture, did it have a sense of touch that kind of... Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's another really interesting point. That particular robot, there's some that respond to touch, but they don't invite touch in the way that this robot does. This robot is very cuddly. It's like a big stuffed animal, and it has this um, uh, antibacterial fur, so it's quite safe, you know, but it is furry, it is fluffy. They've shown that it's, it's very calming for people just to simply stroke this robot, and it's kind of an alternative to pet therapy in some ways, because especially if people are living on their own and perhaps have dementia, it's not really um, ethically viable to have them have live animals, but they can still get the benefits of touch. And, and we were learning more and more about the importance of touch. You bring up pets, and, and I'm curious if, if 
robots are more seen as a replacement possibly for pets rather than other humans. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest in that direction. I think people feel far less threatened and feel like it's far less of an ethical uh, dilemma to think about this alternative to pets. I'm a pet owner myself, and I'm sure anyone and everyone who has a pet would say like, oh my gosh, give me a pet any day over a robot. But of course, there's some situations wherein it might not be viable to have pets, or it might not be safe. Um, people might have allergies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, because they're not living beings, we can potentially outfit them with other things to help people, such as perhaps um, you know, taking their temperature, uh, responding to falls, like calling a, a loved one if an emergency happens. So there's, of course, some really high utility uh, if we're going to have them, these machines serving that kind of pet-like purpose. They can do other things too. Wow, yeah, I mean, that makes a, a ton of sense. And, and I mean, speaking as somebody who would love a dog but travels a lot, with not during COVID, but you know, otherwise, I feel like I would love you know something for you to cuddle with. And so that's so nice to think about. You mentioned all of these other features that this robot could have, like taking your temperature or seeing if you fall, um, and and just going back to kind of the human element to it. Do you ever foresee a, a robot helping a human feel understood? Another really good question. Um, <laughs> I think we're, we're definitely not there yet. Uh, we, we have a line of research in my lab where we're looking at how we can support people in caring contexts. Lots of people at some point in their life will be caring for um, an elderly sibling or parent, um, but they're not gonna be you know, official carers. And, and how can we support these, these people to, to, to be less stressed, less burdened, and, and to provide a high level of care outside of the medical system? And my part of the project is looking at, can we use social robots to kind of alleviate that burden? And we We've done a, a really nice set of studies where we look at um, what people disclose to another human that they're speaking with, to a humanoid robot, and to an Alexa type thing, so a, a disembodied voice agent. And, and what we're finding is that people do disclose more to a humanoid robot than to just kind of a disembodied voice agent. But what's going to be really important is that the voice recognition technology and kind of the emotion response technology is, is, is greatly improved so that people can feel understood. So in, in social robotics, uh, there's a really interesting technique that um, is used a lot called the Wizard of Oz technique. There's an experimenter behind the scenes who's controlling the robots. They're telling the robot what to say and what to do. If you have an actual person behind that that's responding in an emotionally appropriate way, then people do feel quite understood. But once you leave it to the inbuilt AI, to the tech of the robot itself, that kind of falls down much more rapidly. So, so we're not quite there yet. I assume you've seen her, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you think that that is like a hundred years off or like? I definitely think we're not there. No, sometimes when I, when I think about these questions, like how far off are we? I, I think we also want to ask, is that a place we actually want to get to? And of course, like her makes it seem really compelling. Like this, 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 this lonely person feels really understood and like deeply um, feels a deep connection with this voice agent. Um, maybe 20 years. We'll give it 20 years. I think wow. it's the, the technology's moving at a far quicker pace than than we might imagine. You had mentioned, I think, in one of the articles you wrote that uh, that you're looking at kind of the movement of robots um, and how that how that conveys a more human sense to somebody. Are there movements that you've looked at that you feel like are maybe more subconscious that we don't realize, but that communicate in big ways? 
Yeah, so we know from a lot of the kind of gesture and nonverbal communication psychology research that there's obviously so much to nonverbal communication that's really important um, for establishing social connections, for conveying uh, really important information, not just about the content, but about you know, the speaker's mindset and you know, subtext and all these other sorts of things. And we are looking at um, whether gestures as performed by robots can help people kind of feel more at ease or more relaxed, whether the robot's breathing or is kind of nodding <laughs> at appropriate times and how do you establish appropriate times? These are all sorts of really interesting questions, but we all have a, a preconceived notion of how a robot moved. It's very jerky. It's not you know, very human-like. And that's, you know, it, it's a cartoon, but it's it's because um, the way humans move, the way biological organisms move, is a very different movement profile. So there's, of course, a lot of interest in can we get robots to move in this um, more fluid, smooth, biological type manner. And there has been some fantastic advancements in, in making robots move in a far less jerky way. We're looking at how emotion is expressed through bodily movement and we're working with professional dancers um, who are obviously experts at expressing emotions through their bodily motions and and we're trying to see if we can um, get algorithms for the emotional expression from body movement from body language and from our dancers and then kind of put those onto robot i do think we can tap into the arts and, and professional artists who are really, really good at conveying emotion in really simple ways. So not just dancers, perhaps actors as well to, to kind of get this information across. Are there movements that you found that indicate emotion that you would never have consciously thought about? It's really difficult to convey fear through bodily motion. People have a really hard time classifying that. So we're not just showing people like um, a dancer on the screen kind of doing a fearful action, but what we do is we, use motion capture to um, just get the essence of the dancer's um, motion without having form cues. And of course you can't see a face or anything like that. So it's just some moving dots on the screen. There are some emotions that people are really poor at kind of um, deciphering and, and understanding why that is, is, is something that we're just starting to, to tap into. Have you changed your body language at all since studying this? No, <laughs> I think I've always been a wild gesticulator. That comes from dance. That comes from other things. I probably do more robotic motions. People dance like that too, by the way, Dr. Crown. No, that's true. I do. And, and we've, we've, we've talked about people dancing the robots. And it's, uh, we've actually worked with a professional break dancer who um, could dance the robot exquisitely so we could compare wow. what it looks like to have humans dancing like robots and robots dancing like humans. Believe me, it was a, a very cool study and very interesting. And it was awesome to have this guy dance for us. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Cross. I so appreciate your time, and this was really interesting. Thank you. My absolute pleasure.